good to be back with you. I've never taken two weeks in a row for vacation. Surprised how nervous I am this morning and a bit giddy. If you would open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We are uh, looking at the book of Galatians, uh, passage by passage. And so we have been doing so over the past few months. We are in verses 13 through 18 of Galatians chapter 5. The title of the sermon is The Purpose of Freedom. And you'll hear the Apostle speaking of this here in our text. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Let's pray. Almighty God, we take our stand on your word. We rely on your spirit as you have called us to freedom in the spirit. So we ask that your spirit would now be with us, that he would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts, not only to hear and read your word, but to receive it and to put it into practice. And Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who has given us his spirit without measure. And so we lift this prayer to you in his name. Amen. The title of this is this do I have it on? The title of this sermon is The Purpose of Freedom. And so to answer the question raised in the title, the purpose of freedom is that we have in Christ is to love and glorify and obey God. That is the purpose for our freedom. You are free to live for God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That is the purpose of the freedom that God has given us in His Spirit. Can you hear me okay? I usually don't use this this mic, but I'm trying it this morning. Uh, you have an outline on the back of your bulletin, and I'm going to stick to that outline uh, pretty closely. You also have... Um, I, I would... I want to urge you as strongly as I possibly can to have your Bibles open uh, throughout this sermon. If you don't have a Bible, you have few Bibles. And so if you would turn to page 1167, uh, that will put you right there uh, in Galatians chapter 5. So the first point we have here uh, on our outline is you are called to be free. You are called 
uh, to be free. You are free to obey God. You see this in verse 14. Uh, the Apostle Paul says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he's saying this within the context of verse 13. You're called to freedom. And so don't give opportunity to the flesh, but rather serve one another in love. And he says as you're serving one another in love, you are obeying the entire law. The whole law is served up in this one word, love. I want to dwell on this for a couple of moments because uh, it is my uh, belief, it is my experience that many Christians doubt whether they truly are free to obey God. So I want to read a, a, a few passages. The first from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and you don't need to turn there, but it's 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 through 24. The apostle says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who is faithful, or he who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. God's intention is to sanctify you in Christ Jesus. In fact, in uh, the chapter before that in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, the Apostle Paul says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification or your holiness. God's will for your life is for you to obey Him. Ephesians 1.4 The Scripture says um, He called us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. And that's not just in our position before Him in Christ because Christ has forgiven our sins but it's also in our life, in our walk. We are to be holy. We are to lead blameless lives. Our Lord Jesus said it in John uh, chapter 14, verse 15. He said, If you love me, you will obey my commands. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, uh, the Apostle John essentially says the same thing. He says, and, this we know, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, in Him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Whoever says He abides in Him ought to walk in the same way in which He walked. You are called to obey Him in Christ and in the freedom He gives you by His Spirit. You can be obedient. Your freedom is not only directed at yourself. Your freedom is also, and not only directed toward God and your obedience to Him, it's also directed outward to each other. So verse 13 here in our text, he says, For you are called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
And then he says that love fulfills the law. And I could find 15, 20, maybe even 100 verses that say essentially the same thing throughout the Scriptures. You are free to love other people genuinely. The reason why we struggle with loving others so much is because we're so busy loving ourselves that we don't have room or don't have time or don't have love left over to give it out to others. But you are free to love one another. There is never a reason, there is never an excuse for you to claim that you cannot love your brother or sister in Christ. In fact, I'll expand it out. Matthew chapter 5, God says, love your enemies. There's never an excuse. There's never a reason for you to say, I cannot love my neighbor or even your enemy. So you are free to obey God, free to serve one another. You are also free to follow the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You are free to be led by the Spirit. And His Spirit always leads us according to the Word of God. The Holy Spirit's will for your life is outlined in His Holy Scriptures. People who follow their own subjunctive or subjective desires without concern for God's Word, but who say that they are following the Scriptures, uh, or rather following the Holy Spirit uh, without following the Scriptures, really what they're doing is they are using God to uh, justify their own autonomy. The Holy Spirit does not lead us without His Word. The Holy Spirit speaks to us through His Word. And a lot of Christians uh, get off base and go down trails that is not along the straight and narrow road because they follow their own desires and make God their servant to say, well, God's leading me this way when His Word uh, does not... Uh, when His Word does not actually speak to them about the direction they're going. Actually, it probably would speak to them and say, don't go down that path. And just like the reason we don't love others as we are called to do, as we are free to do, so also the reason we do not follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as we should is because we mistakenly believe that we still belong to myself, that we still belong to ourselves. Um, Romans chapter 6 speaks to this issue in verses 16 through 18. And again, I, I don't want you to trouble you to turn there and then me turn back to Galatians real quickly and, and uh, have you uh, still trying to catch up. But in Romans chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, the Apostle Paul says, 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves that... Thanks be to God that that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. The Apostle, I mean, our Lord Jesus says that we are to die to ourselves. He says we are to take up our cross. He says we are to lose our lives in order that we might find it. Do not mistake yourselves. If you belong to Jesus Christ, you no longer belong to yourselves. You belong to Him. And the reason we do not follow the leading of the Holy Spirit as we should is because we mistakenly believe we still belong to ourselves. I mentioned this on Wednesday night during the devotional, but uh, for our vacation we went up, uh, first to my parents, dropped the dog, and then we went from my parents in just south of Atlanta up to the Bustamantes in Washington, D.C., stayed with them a couple of nights, and then went from there on up to, um, or, or, or toured Washington, D.C. while we were uh, with them, and then we went up to Philadelphia, spent the afternoon touring Philadelphia, Liberty Bell, went up to Westminster Seminary uh, where I went to school, showed them the apartments that we lived in while we were there, and then went on up to New York City and um, spent most of our vacation up in New York City. And of course, Molly and Rachel and Abby, they want to do this, they want to do that. You know, we need to go shopping on Fifth Avenue, on and on and on and on. And I just told them, you will be more happy and content if you will simply realize that this trip is not about you. (laughs) That this trip is about me and your mommy, and you just happen to be with us. (laughs) They're not here this morning. (laughs) But uh, they're all alpha friends. But that same principle applies. We become discontent with God's Word. We become discontent with His will for our lives because we mistakenly believe that we are the Lord of our life. That we have the autonomy to choose the way we are going to go. That we have the autonomy to choose the purpose for our life. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you no longer belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul and for eternity. And in Jesus Christ, because you have died to sin, that's the first part of Romans 6, you are free to live in Him. You are free to be led by the Holy Spirit. In fact, following Him leads to true freedom and happiness. I had an illustration that I took out of my notes, but since Billy mentioned the the roller coaster, uh, I'll mention a little different uh, illustration. I may have even mentioned it before. 
when is a train at its freest? Is a train at its freest when it's off the tracks? What if we put a train out here on Lumsden? What would it do? It would chew up the road. It would, it would be very difficult for it to turn. But boy, you put that train on the tracks and it is happy as it can be. It just glides along. When is a boat happiest and freest? If we put that a boat out of the water and put it on Lumsden Avenue or Lumsden Road and just fall over on its side, couldn't go anywhere. But boy, you put that boat on, on the on the river or out on the Gulf and it just skips along and does what it was meant to do. We are God's creatures. Our happiness is greatest. Our freedom is greatest when we are living under the constraints, if you will, of God's Word. That is where we are freest. And if that's the case, why is it so difficult to follow Him? Why is it so difficult to obey God? He's so worthy, He's so wise. He loves us so much that He sent His only Son to die for our sins. Why is it so difficult? Well, the flesh is the enemy of our freedom. Look at, again at verse 13. You were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. flesh is always looking for opportunities. He says don't give opportunity to it in verse 13. But it's always looking for opportunities. You know these uh, mountain streams that start up at the top of a mountain and they're going down the mountain. That water just will not be stopped. It's going, it has a downward momentum and it's relentless in its momentum. It gets stopped here and then it finds another little place to go down. And then it gets stopped here and it finds cracks and crevices and it seeps in between there and finds a way out and makes it to the bottom of the mountain. Like water is opportunistic and it's going to find its way down. The flesh that lives inside us is going to find a way. It's always seeking for a way to express itself in our lives. It's relentless. What is this flesh? This flesh is something that is radically evil that lives inside every one of you. That lives inside me as well. That lives inside my children. That lives inside my wife. So I'm not singling anybody out here. Every person in this room has something that is radically evil that is living in the core of their being. And it's always looking for opportunities to express itself. From the oldest of you to the youngest. From the most spiritually mature of you to the newest Christian. The same evil, this flesh, lives inside me as well. That, and it lived in the, inside the Apostle Paul. That's why the Apostle Paul is so committed to this concept of grace. That's why the, the book of Galatians just, just bleeds grace. 
because he knows that this flesh that lived inside him, that lived inside the Galatians, that lives inside us, is so wicked and so powerful that we will never in our lives ever be good enough to measure up to God's standards. In the first half of Galatians, I talked a lot about how one sin is enough to cause you never to measure up. Well, now I am saying that because of the flesh, you have multitudinal sins that you struggle with, that you give in to every day and will until the day you die. If you could somehow atone for sin, or if you somehow could make the balances um, weigh out between, or tip in your favor between righteousness and, and evil, well, the Apostle Paul says that is impossible because you sin so much because of this radical evil or what he calls the flesh that is, that is inside you that causes you to do what you want, don't want to do every day. You will struggle with sin every day right up, not just to the day you die, but to the moment you die. And it is destructive. Verse 15. He says, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. As grace is being pushed to the side in the Galatian church, works, pride, Self-centeredness is beginning to come and take the place. And what's happening is they are giving more opportunities to the flesh. And so there's now beginning to be disruptions within the church in Galatians. So Paul's writing, he's saying, don't bite and devour one another. You'll eventually be consumed by one another. The flesh, when it is left unchecked, will prove to be destructive. And it will have a destructive influence in your life. And everyone around you will, will, will experience its destructive powers in some measure. Well, what is this flesh? It is a radical self-centeredness. So let's say that, you, that the flesh is unchecked in you. Or if you're a non-Christian, it's unchecked by definition. And therefore, you are not God-centered. You're becoming more and more me-centered. And what will happen to your relationships is others will become more and more um, simply a means to your happiness. Or take a marriage relationship um, where both people, both the, the husband and the wife, are both, uh, instead of self-sacrificially loving one another, are using each other 
um, as a means to fulfill their own selfish happiness. What you have there in that marriage is really a powder keg ready to explode. The flesh is destructive. It, it, it displays itself in all kinds of relationships. Husbands and wives, parents and children, neighbors in a neighborhood, in the workplace, um, even in churches. And that's what Paul is warning against. The, the flesh that is so opportunistic has found its a foothold in the Galatian church and they're biting and devouring each other. It may seem like little snips, little nips when I play with my dog, um, unless she really gets angry with me. We play pretty rough, but she always knows not to bite down or she knows that who the real alpha dog in our family is. And so that's the reason she... <laughs> at least that's what I like to think. Um, but but we, we we play pretty rough, but she never bites down. And so some of those those little nips at each other that may seem harmless, if they are motivated by selfishness or self concern, um, or just the, the very presence of them shows the self concern, shows the presence of the flesh. And so watch out for the gossip. Watch out for the little innocent. Uh, innuendo. Watch out for the mistrust. Biting and devouring is a manifestation or, or, or is a, the influence of the flesh and it will lead to consuming one another. The flesh is behind it all when you boil it all down. The flesh is also diametrically opposed to the things of God. Look at verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So can you see this? The two poles are lined up against each other. They can't coexist. The desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For for these are opposed to one another to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Lest I be misunderstood, as a Christian, you have a new nature. You have... You, you have a, 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 a new nature where the desires of the Spirit become part of your desires. In fact, as a believer, the Word of God tells you that it is your utmost desire and joy to fellowship with God and to obey Him. And I see that expressed in your lives over and over and over again. Um, I know you love to love God and to fellowship with Him. Um, But the flesh battles relentlessly against your new nature. You have, what you have in effect, he's telling us in verse 17, is a war raging within you. Or listen to Paul in in Romans chapter 7. You're familiar with this passage. In Romans chapter 7. Beginning with verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. He's talking about his flesh. For I have the desire to do what is good, but not the ability to carry it out. He has the desire because he's got a new nature. He's got the Spirit's nature. He's got Christ's nature. He loves to obey God. He has the desire to carry it out, but not the ability. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. 
So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. That's the flesh. For I, desi- for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. What a wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, he's, that's his extended um, commentary on the flesh. He mentions it only in this one verse, um, in, in this specific detail in Galatians uh, 5.17. I want you to understand something. I want you to understand something that it took me a long time to realize that I forget, I think, just about every day, and I have to re-remember and I've been thinking, how can I help you remember this? So I'm going to do something that I normally would not do. J. Gresham Machen, the pastor or the teacher at Westminster back in the 1920s, when he wanted his students to understand something, jumped up on the table. And so I want you to think of, I want you to remember this. And it was much easier when I tried it this morning. My legs weren't shaking. (laughs) Here's what I want you to hear. The word, I mean, I'm sorry, the flesh is greater and more powerful than the will of a Christian. Jesus, John, uh, Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 5. You can do nothing without me, he says. The flesh is greater than the will of a Christian. I want you to repeat it with me. The flesh of a Christian, say it with me, the flesh in a Christian is greater than the will of a Christian. I was going to have you turn and shake each other's hands and talk to each other. But I'll relent. I have made my point, I hope. This is the reason why I was willing to jump up in that chair. Because I have been with so many Christians who have come up to me and who have said, I struggle so much and I give in to sin so often that I just can't believe that I'm a Christian and they're willing to give up on the Christian life. And I tell them, your struggle and your conviction of sin is the best proof of your Christianity. And the reason why they have such a struggle is they've never realized the power of the flesh. And so many of us have never realized the true power of the radical evil that lives inside us. Yes, we have a new nature. Yes, we have new desires. But there's this flesh that battles and wages war inside us. You know, I wake up every morning knowing that I am going to be self-centered and disobedient to God. So my first reflex is to seek God. God, help me today. Give me your grace. Help me to obey you even when 
I'm ready to fulfill my own desires. Help me to be quick to remember your word. Help me to be easily pricked by your word and convicted. Because I know that there's something evil that lives inside me. And when I sin, I go back to Jesus. Thank you for dying for my sins. Another application, and the reason I'm willing to jump on this chair, is there's this bad doctrine out there that says, Jesus saved you, therefore you must prove to Him that you love Him by your, and show Him that you're sincere in your obedience, um, or sincere in your faith by your obedience. And so, um, there are many Christians that are living out there trying to prove to God that they love Him. And instead of being able to love God with the freedom that we are called to, it's almost like they're, they're orphans trying to win a father's love rather than knowing that their father loves them. That we can say, Abba, Father, and crawl up in his lap knowing that he loves us. Or as we read in the, uh, in the call to worship, that he takes great delight in us, that he will quiet us with his love, and he will rejoice over us with singing. That verse, sadly, is is an unknown verse to so many Christians who are out there trying to prove to God uh, by their obedience that, um, that they really do love Him. It is a wicked teaching. There are multitudes of evangelical pastors who are going to have to give account to God on the Day of Judgment uh, because they have contributed to the shipwreck of believers' faith or to the unhealthiness of so many Christians. I know there are many things that I'll have to give account to as well. Uh, May I never um, teach anything uh, this bad. And instead of changing their doctrine and saying this is a bad doctrine, what they've done is they've added another worse doctrine on top of it um, called the carnal Christian doctrine where they say, well... Um, you can live like you want to, and um, you're just you're still a Christian, but you're uh, but you can live like you want to. You're still carnal. You're still in the flesh. Notice I have not said that. At the beginning of the sermon, I took pains to say you are called, you are free to obey God. That is God's uh, ex- that, is, that is His calling. That is the reason for the freedom. Thirdly, the reason why I'm willing to stand in that chair is because Christians who do not understand the radical evil in their hearts take prayer, Bible study, fellowship with God as optional in their lives. When you understand how wicked you are, You can't live on your own. You need that prayer. You need God to speak to you in His Word. You need the fellowship with God. You need the fellowship and accountability of the body of Christ. Fourthly, this flesh will imprison your soul. 
flesh left unchecked will build sinful habits in your life. It will dominate your life. It will become an idol in your life. Ladies, how many of you, and I'm not looking for a show of hands, how many of you struggle with worry? At the bottom of that is the flesh. Men, how many of you struggle with lust? At the bottom of that is the power of the flesh. How many of you struggle with pride? Or lying to defend yourself? To make yourself look better in other people's eyes? Or impatience or anger? At the bottom of that is the flesh. Left unchanged, those are un- and, and unchallenged by God's Spirit will dominate your life become, and become the pattern of your life. It will imprison your life. And I think this is the worst kind of imprisonment that there could possibly be. Because you know you should be free. I love God. Why am I not free? I know you heard the reports or read the reports of the people that were just stuck in these airports, you know, over in Europe. You know, and you read these reports and you read these quotes and they are just beside themselves because they are saying, this shouldn't be happening. This is the 21st century and I can't get home. And they, it is imprisonment with a heavy frosting of, of frustration. On our way up to, uh, to New York to go from Tampa up to my parents' house in Atlanta, um, we left on Friday afternoon after the kids got out of school. We knew we'd get in around 12.30, 1 o'clock. Well, uh, south of Cordial, Georgia, um, the traffic came to a standstill. Two tractor trailers and a couple of cars had been involved in a, in a wreck. Two and a half hours were sitting on the expressway. And that wouldn't have been so bad, except that we had to get up at nine in the morning from my parents' house to be able to get to the Bustamante's at a reasonable hour. And so, you know, I wanted, well, those girls would have had their bags packed or, uh, or if we hadn't stopped at Wendy's as long as we did, you know. But after doing all that, we're still stuck. And so, you know, frustration. You're, you're in prison. You don't need to be in prison. You are called to be free. In fact, that is the last point. Now I will be brief. It is the Spirit who leads you to freedom. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. In other words, you're free to live as you want to as long as you're led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit means being led by His Word. True freedom is following God and His Word. And you can live freely. That's what it means to be led by Him. Following His Word. But if you're not reading His Word, then it's very difficult to be led by Him. And it leads to imprisonment of some level. And then verse 16. 
But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That walk by the Spirit basically means two things. It means walk in the power of the Spirit, but also in terms of walk. It's walk with the Spirit. You live in Spirit-empowered life when you walk with Him. When you fellowship with Jesus, the Spirit is empowering your life and you are led by the Spirit and then you're no longer under law. You're living freely. Living like a a ship out on the gulf or a train on on the tracks. I'm going to close with this passage. It wasn't in my notes. It just ran through my mind. And so I hope that I don't close with a thud. But I think this will be helpful. John chapter 14, verse 21. I'm going to back up to verse 18. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you in yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Verse 21 was what was rattling around in my brain. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him or show myself to him. And he's talking here about the Spirit living in their lives. You obey God, and you love Him more. And as you love Him, He shows Himself, He reveals Himself to you. And you're empowered as you fellowship with Him. And then you love Him him more and obey Him more, and your Christian life grows. That is the way forward in the Christian life. It is a life led, empowered, um, in communion with the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, I ask um, that you would help us to know the enormity of the sin that still lives in us in order that we might know that we might get what know our true need of the grace that you provide for us. And Father, I pray that you would be faithful to your word and provide your spirit to us in order that we might fellowship with you, in order that we might be led by the spirit and walk uh, with the spirit and in the power of the spirit. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.